93% of people use the first funeral director they come across. But this is a relatively modern concept. Before Queen Victoria, we always used to bury our own. After all, why would you let a perfect stranger see you naked when you're dead? We spoke to Rosie Inman Cook of the Natural Death Centre, an organisation that looks at how we can bury people in a completely new way. Or should that be in the old way? We, we cover a massive subject area from getting your affairs in order, living wills, advanced healthcare directives, which they're known as. We give advice on looking after somebody who's dying at home, how to find your way through the maze of funeral directors and that you don't get ripped off or, and that you can find somebody who's going to actually offer you help that you want and not sell you a funeral that they want to sell you. We also are the umbrella organisation for the natural burial sites around the country and advise on that and everything in between. Because we don't talk and explore this subject, there are all these myths and presumed legal requirements that actually don't exist, which is quite incredible. But when people find out things like, you don't need a hearse, you don't need a coffin, you don't have to employ a funeral director, you can bury somebody on your own land, you don't need permission from anybody. One gentleman in, in this country got into all the tabloid press a few years back because he'd actually done a DIY and not registered the death and so he got actually locked up because they thought he'd murdered his father. So yes, no, you, you need to do things officially, but that is all. If your loved one's at home and you want to keep them at home, you obviously need to be careful. You don't want to open windows and let flies into the house. You've got to keep the body cool. You can't leave it a month to have the funeral because nature will take its course. So there's obviously common sense practical things you need to do. If you're the person you're arranging for is died in hospital then most hospitals will be able to look after them in the mortuary there until you get your affairs sorted out. Then you can order a coffin direct. We have on our on the Natural Death Centre website there are lists of coffin suppliers who will sell direct to the public. Then you need to make sure if you're having a cremation that it's a compatible coffin, that it's not got things in that they don't want at the crematorium that you've got a vehicle that it will fit in, that you've got the right size that you're, the person who's died will fit into. Something else that we've produced for 20 years since the charity was set up 21 years ago is something called the Natural Death Handbook, which has now expanded into a box set of three books covering all these subjects, and that has everything in far more detail if people are planning ahead. So, we have actually launched this year a new website called Funeral Advisor that works along the same lines as TripAdvisor. So the public can Google that. It's only just been launched, so there aren't that many reviews up yet, but obviously if people have had a funeral within the last three years, we would very much encourage everybody to get on and leave a review. We have various safety precautions, shall we say, to make sure that we won't post up anything bad until we've checked that actually it's an authentic funeral and it's not one funeral director bitching about another and you know, all that sort of nastiness going on. Can I say bitching on this? <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, so we hope maybe that will be a step forward to try and... You know, we've tried to use carrot for 20 years and I think it's time for a little bit of stick. There's nothing worse than when I was a cemetery natural burial ground organiser, manager. The family walking through my office door and they're sitting down saying, 
dad's died we don't know where to start we don't know if he wanted this we don't know you know they have no idea because then that's another layer of stress on top of the bereavement and the shock and all the sadness that this, the layer of stress they think that they maybe they're doing the wrong thing and that you know they've been looked down on from above and saying what are you doing i didn't want that you know so yeah talk please to everybody just talk to each other there's us and there's the Good Funeral Guide, who are another organisation who give advice on such things. We're chums, we're not competitors, <laughs> we're all chums. Yeah, I mean, it's common sense stuff. People can approach us, some people just work it out for themselves, you know, or have heard or who've done it before. There's a very famous case on the radio and on TV at the moment by a lady called Wendy Miller, who picked up her mother in her camper van, took her on a little tour around to see her friends, and then took her to a natural burial site and organised digging the grave herself with a friend and just buried her mum completely independently on herself. But that that's quite an extreme example. I mean, a, a lot of people will do a mostly DIY funeral, but might employ a funeral director to just do the nitty-gritty bits, like collecting from the hospital mortuary, dressing, placing the body in the coffin and, and things like that. There's no black and white with it. You can have uh, varying shades, and finding a, a progressive, flexible funeral director to help you with that is, is the secret there. And a couple of funeral directors are now looking at offering the same thing with the burial option. It's called a direct burial, and that includes a coffin and a burial at natural burial site. And they're doing the whole service for just under £1,600, which is, again, less than half the cost of a regular burial. Pretty much a standard, basic cremation on the high street. What well, cheapest you'll probably get is about 2600 more commonly about the 3000 mark, and, and burial, 3000 three and a half, four thousand pounds £4,000. But then there's lots of add-ons as well, you know, if you're, if you're not careful. But you've got to also think of the hidden costs that aren't packaged into that funeral cost, actually, to get the job done at the time. You've then got... So we've, we've buried somebody in the municipal cemetery. It's cost us £3,700. Um, oh, of course, we need a gravestone. That's going to be another thousand pounds easily possibly if you've got the ashes come back to you and that's cost you three thousand pounds and you've not oh right well we want somewhere to go we don't want to just scatter them and a lot of people are interring ashes and buying burial plots for ashes so the cost of that burial plot then the cost of a plaque to go on that burial plot so the real cost of that you know a conventional burial and a conventional cremation isn't actually as transparent as it might appear whereas with a natural burial for example that's it. There's no gravestone to be bought. You can scatter anywhere with the landowner's permission. I mean, most people seem to just go and sprinkle without permission. I quite often I'm walking in beauty spots and I'll see, ah, that's what that is on the ground then. And there's little dusty piles, which is not good for a few reasons. Firstly, it upsets other, other visitors. And secondly, there's evidence now that because so many people are scattering in the same places, places that have been loved and views that have been cherished etc etc that that's actually the accumulation of ashes is changing the chemical soil nutrient level and it's becoming a problem for the native flora because the it's becoming over enriched you know getting nettles and brambles apparently walkers and climbers are going up munros in scotland and finding patches of nettles and inappropriate things instead of alpine plants so yeah has a bit of care needed Direct cremation or cremation without ceremony is something that we have seen the biggest change this year, whether it's because of the financial situation. But there are companies in the country, just a few, who do a national collection 
service and they organise the cremation at their convenience around their other jobs and then return the ashes to the family just for under £1,000, which is a third of the cost of a basic cremation on the high street. It suits some families want to have a memorial service at a later time when maybe relatives have flown in from abroad and, and they've had time to really get the right bits of music and the more appropriate ceremony together, so they just get the cremation carried out. It might be um, people who've insisted that absolutely there is to be no funeral ceremony. They do not want it. It might be an executor arranging for somebody who had no family and their instructions were to do it as cheaply as possible because all their money has been left to a charity, for example. So there are lots of different situations. We're bad consumers because we don't plan ahead, because we don't talk about it. We're in a state of shock, exhaustion, and we don't question, we don't shop around. And it makes us very vulnerable, potentially. What if we believe in an afterlife? If we believe life does not end just because the body ceases to function? What if we could be brought back from the dead, reanimated in future years? Murray Ballard, a documentary photographer, studied the prospect of immortality. This is what he had to tell us. Cryonics is the preservation of a human body, or, or actually a, uh, well, a, a human body or a pet or an animal, with the intention of bringing it back to life in the future. There's only probably about 150 people here in the UK that have signed up for cryonics. And there's no storage centres here, so you have to be shipped to America or now Russia. Maybe it's one body a year. I mean, I don't think there's been a UK patient for three years now. So it's a sort of supply and demand thing. And so it's run by a team of volunteers. There's 2,000 people worldwide that have signed up for this. And it's a tiny percentage of people that have actually put their money where their mouth is and signed up. And I think it's... It takes someone who thinks a bit outside of the box to, to do it. When you think the idea of cryonics was born in 1962 when Robert Ittinger published The, the Prospect of Immortality, um, I think it's something like between 1962 and um, the year 2000, something like a 1,000 people signed up. And then since then, from about 2000 to the present day, over a course of 12 years, another 1,000 people have signed up. Essentially. You, you, when you die, um, you are preserved in liquid nitrogen. But the, the sort of the standard um, process or protocol is to, when the patient dies, and they refer to them as patients rather than you know a, a, a dead body. Um, when the patient dies, they are put into an ice bath. So you immediately start cooling the, the body down. You then have all your bodily fluids drained out and they're replaced with what they call a cryoprotectant. And that is sort of like a human antifreeze. And there's a whole sort series of sort of medications and, and drugs that they put into the body to help um, the cooling process and to keep your cells uh, alive as, for as long as possible. And then if you're a patient here in the UK, you're then, well, packed in dry ice and then you're placed into a container and shipped to the USA. The Cryonics company at the other end or organisation will 
receive the body and take it to the facility where it's cooled down very, very slowly from dry ice temperature to liquid nitrogen temperature. And that's from, I think it's something like, you know, you're dropping another 100 degrees right down to minus 196 degrees. And they do that very slowly over um, three or four days um, because if that's done, you know, rapidly, you could shatter the body. Um, so it's done very, very slowly through a sort of computer-controlled process. Cronuses are keen to point out that there are five definitions of, of, of death, um, and only three of them are, are important. The first is when, you're at, when you can be declared legally dead, and that is a sensation of a heartbeat, so you're, you're no longer alive. Then you undergo clinical death, which is when modern technology uh, can no longer keep you alive or, or possibly can't. So that, I suppose that term refers to people on life support machines or something like that. And then you undergo cellular death and your cells start dying off, well, obviously very quickly. But there is this sort of half an hour window between clinical death and cellular death. And that's the window where the cryonicists are trying to start the cooling. So you're preserving the body in the best possible state. Ideally, you would um, have some sort of warning that uh, you know you're on your last legs, um, and the uh, the organiser or the Cryonics UK volunteers would come and sit by your bedside, and um, so they could begin the preservation as soon as possible. I think there's, there's something like ten people that have been trained to do that, so they have a. Well, uh, it's an ex-NHS ambulance which has been uh, kitted out with all the equipment that they need. Um, so they've got a nice bath and a, a uh, sort of heart-lung machine to sort of pump the cryoprotectants around the body. And they will drive that to the hospital or to the home where the, the body is. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to plan for the sort of ultimate cryopreservation or the, because you know you don't necessarily know when you're going to die you could die in your sleep you know you can you know it's very you could drop down dead in the street you know so it's very difficult to do the perfect chronic suspension quite often you're dealing with somebody that's been dead for some time and uh, your chances of being brought back to life are probably considerably reduced or at least you won't be the first one brought back in the future the alcohol Life Extension Foundation uh, charge $120,000 to be stored indefinitely. And I think the Cryonics Institute, it's uh, $25,000. So it's quite a difference. And, you know, they've both got a, about the same amount of members. So it's, it's fairly evenly split. But the thing about the, the cost of it is, you know, it's interesting when I talked about the, the project or... Uh, to people. Some people think that's an enormous amount of money, some people think that's a small amount of money. When you think it's, you know, a, it's a one-off fee essentially for the foreseeable future, it, when you break it down per year it, it's not a huge amount and the other thing that most people don't uh, realise is that you can pay for it through life insurance. So you, for me, me for example, I'm not, I haven't signed up to Cryonics, but if I wanted to I've got a, a reasonably good, well, clear bill of health. So um, if I wanted to, you know, uh, 
uh, start a life insurance policy for $120,000, I'd probably be paying out six or seven pounds a month. So it becomes quite affordable. I mean, most people in the UK, at least, can probably afford it. One less trip to the cinema or something like that, and you could uh, theoretically sign up to Cryonics. So it's it's um, not something where you have to have uh, well, it's it's more complicated if you're you know 65 and you've got terminal cancer. Obviously, you have to stump up the 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 one-off fee. But if you signed up when you were younger, it's much more affordable. Most cryonicists sign up with the idea that they are going to be brought back to life into a new body that's been cloned to them, a, a designer body. And essentially all they want is their memories and their identity. Um, so this is why a lot of chronic patients are, are neuro patients. They only have their head preserved because essentially all they want is the, the information in the brain. One of the pictures I, I took was I, I, I went to meet a UK cryonicist and uh, take a portrait of him and his wife at their home and I noticed on the windowsill there are all these um, little bottles with uh, cheek swabs or well, they were cotton buds but they, it's a DNA they was essentially said DNA samples clone after death on them and so I you know I said to David what's this and he said well that's my ultimate backup um, you know so if Cryonix doesn't work if I'm blown to bits in an aeroplane and um, then this is my, you know, backup. At least my body could be cloned. At least my genes could live on. The bodies are actually stored upside down because, um, well, just logically, if you were to have a shortage of liquid nitrogen, um, for some reason you'd want the head to be the thing that got affected last or was exposed last, so the head is at the bottom. I think I've read it several times, but, you know, Death is the kind of the ultimate equaliser, isn't it? I mean, it's something where there's something quite strange about the fact that we're all united in this. You know, we're all just make this utterly human, and no matter how special we are, that doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, we're all going to. Nobody can, well, you know, unless you're a chronicist, but nobody can prevent it from happening. Essentially, a chronicist thinks of chronics as just a device to get you to the future so that you can then have the stand, you know, medical technology of tomorrow rather than today. It's just a way of waiting. Probably the best thing to do would be to contact Cryonics UK and they would point you in the right direction. But yes, uh, you go and approach one of, the t one of the two facilities in America and make arrangements. It's quite a, you know, because it's obviously quite a hard thing to organise. It's quite a lengthy procedure. There's a lot of paperwork involved and, you know, financial arrangements need to be made with the life insurance or way of paying for it. Ooh, 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 that sends shivers down my spine. I'd like to be cremated and fired into uh, the air in a rocket. Really don't care at all. I would rather they didn't spend an absolute fortune on a funeral because I think it's a complete waste. In a strange homage to Neil Young, it's better to burn me up than to have me fade away. Hi, my name's Jim, and I'm just an ordinary working stiff. Literally. I'm dead, you see. Passed on a month or two back. But here, I didn't let that stop me working. I left me body for cadaver testing. 
What's that? Well, when car companies build new safety innovations, they test them with computer modeling and dummies. But neither maths nor plastic can capture how human tissue reacts. Only people can. And that's where I come in. Cadaver testing saves 8,500 lives a year. So, before you go, check out cadavertesting.com. Your life was worth a lot. Your death could be worth so much more. Jim, we're ready. Gotta go. There's no rest for the wicked. Cadavertesting.com. Give something back. In 2010, the cremation rate in the UK was 73%. Despite an aggressive, century-long propaganda campaign whose strapline was Leave the land for the living! Is cremation still a fitting way to dispose of your body after you die? I always remember the last words of my grandfather. <laughs> Cremations arose in the Western world when Romans sought to mimic the dramatic, fiery end of their great mythical heroes. Crematoria across the UK were instructed by the government to reduce mercury emissions into the atmosphere, which are caused by dental fillings, by 2012. Not all crematoria can afford this, and attempts to clean up and filter out these emissions is the main reason for the rise in cremation costs. Crematoria openings are too small for bigger coffins because people are getting fatter. Bodies take up to three hours to burn in a crematorium, and studies of emissions reveal that cremation turns people into at least 46 different pollutants. Some of these remaining in the atmosphere for up to 100 years, causing acid rain and ozone depletion. The ovens reach over 1,000 degrees, and the ash is raked down and put into a cremulator, a big machine with very smooth stones, which pummel the ash into an even finer powder. A magnet is used after cremation to pick out any surgical pins, coffin nails, or titanium limbs. You will have to declare that any pacemaker or any similar medical device has been removed from the body. They explode. In the end, the ashes weigh about two kilograms. To ensure a body planned for cremation has not died in suspicious circumstances, two doctors are required to see the body. The first is a doctor who declared death, and the second must agree with the first as to the cause of death. Despite this examination usually taking place on NHS time, doctors charge a fee for this service, which is known in the trade as ash cash. Currently, that fee is £73.50, pence, adding a total of £147 to the bill for cremation, a charge passed down to the bereaved. The remaining ashes are so inert that the soil in cemetery flower beds needs a regular replacement to prevent the accumulating dead ash from choking the life out of plants. But there are alternatives to burial and cremation. There are two alternative disposal options that may become available in the UK quite soon. One is already licensed and operating in the USA and involves the use of a heated liquid alkaline submersion technique. The developers call uh, resumation or biocremation. 
They liken it to an acceleration of the body's natural process of breaking down when buried, from years to hours. The body is placed in water in an aluminium container and potassium hydroxide, heat and pressure are added to dissolve the body tissue. In about three hours, the average time that conventional cremation takes, the flesh is reduced to a liquid sludge and what is left is some bone residue similar to ashes. The resulting liquid is non-toxic and can be disposed of in a variety of ways, including, if necessary, into the wastewater system. So basically you've just dissolved, like an Alka-Seltzer. Uh, the second option is to reduce the body to a sterile compost by first freezing it in liquid nitrogen. This removes the water from the body, making it very brittle so that it can be broken down into uh, granules. There are two companies using this method, Promessa and Cryomation. While both use slightly different techniques to crumble the body, Either technique will use only a fraction of the power used during a cremation and neither will release any harmful emissions. So basically, you are crumbled like an oxo-cube. And the fun doesn't stop there. Uh, based on research amongst 100 UK undertakers, average burial cost was £3,307, with a typical cremation priced at £4,954. That's an enormous amount of money. Uh, do we have a choice? Actually, yes, we do. Here are some options you may not have considered. I heard of Murphy died. Was he here long? No, he died in the best of health. Earth is not the only choice. In Tibet, you can have a sky burial. A ritual dissection is common practice where the ground is too hard and rocky to easily dig a grave. Uh, considered to be an individual's final act of charity, a priest cuts the corpse into small pieces and places it on top of a mountain, exposing it to birds of prey who consume it. Not for you? Okay, then. When you die, why not become a tree? Biopresence takes your essence and transcodes it within the DNA of a tree. That tree grows into a living memorial, a healthy, constantly growing reminder of the wonder of you and your life. For your family and friends to enjoy for generations. Biopresence. Live forever. How about donating your body to medical science? Uh, it's not as easy as it looks. There are stringent criteria, and medical schools have more offers than they can cope with, and people get turned down, often because they are too fat. And don't forget, a couple of years later, the medical school will approach the families to say, we are ready to cremate the remains. So you do have to have a funeral. Hey, you've got a skeleton. Why not leave it to science? At WeBuyAnyBones.com, we make it easier than ever before. Like our name says, we buy your skeleton quickly, safely and fairly. Then pass it on to medical institutions around the world. If you've ever said to yourself, when I pass on, I want to pass on my skeleton. 
then you've come to the right place. At WeBuyAnyBones.com, we buy thousands of skeletons every year from people just like you. That's why we are the medical industry's favourite number one skeleton sourcing service. So what are you waiting for? Go to WeBuyAnyBones.com right away and get started. How about a DIY funeral? You don't have to use a funeral director or a hearse or a coffin. A family can do everything for themselves. You can bury your loved one on private ground, in your own back garden if you wish, although you are not allowed to dig up a body once it is buried. So think on, as they say in Corrie. You can keep your loved ones at home in the front room or in their bedroom. It's easy to order a cold plate to lay the body on. Uh, this is literally a flat sheet of metal you put on the bed and plug in to keep the body cold. Plus, you can order an air conditioning unit. You can wash the body yourself, as Siobhan and Fiona have already told us. You can measure it and order your own choice of coffin or shroud. You can decorate the coffin with drawings, flowers, pictures that commemorate the life of the deceased. And you can put the coffin in the back of the car and take it to a grave you and your family have dug yourselves. Why not? Who says it is more dignified to let a funeral director take over? You may feel it is more dignified to bury your own family. Perhaps it's time we said, thanks very much, Queen Victoria. But now we're taking the responsibility back. I buried an old turkey carcass and an appy in the garden. Why did you do that? We'll worry the newcomers when they dig up my vegetable patch. <laughs> <laughs> How about a woodland burial? The UK has over 200 natural woodland burial sites and 20 new ones open each year. Nice and peaceful, no headstone, no fuss, no embalming allowed. Just you, the trees, and everlasting tranquility. <laughs> if I should go before the rest of you, make not a flower, nor inscribe a stone. Oh, when I am gone, speak in a Sunday voice, but be the usual selves that I have known. A burial at sea sounds romantic, but the reality is not as personal as you might wish. And they are often done en masse for cost-effectiveness, with coffins sent overboard in a job lot. So... You've got your heart on one of these here sea burials, have you? Hmm? Ah, but there's only three sites off the English coast where sea burials are allowed. New Haven in Sussex, the Needle Spoil Ground to the west of the Isle of Wight, and nine miles off the mouth of the Tyne. It's the tides. We've got to have them sea burials off the main fishing route so no, we don't drag up all the dead, nasty little bodies. Them there coffins has got concrete bases. Your feeble landlubber arms aren't going to be able to lift them, right? Best use the winch that's on board for the purpose thereof. It's got a concrete base, that coffin. Sinks like a stone. And we can't have none of them embalmed bodies, neither. Bodies got to be chained, and the coffin's got to be chained and all. But don't forget to drill the coffin with holes. Because when you go down to Davy Jones' locker, you wants to be letting the water in them little fishes in. Savvy? 
Alternatively, you can dispose of ashes at sea almost anywhere. There are urns made of compressed salt and sand which dissolve on the seabed in less than an hour. Dear Diary, I've decided to live every day like I'm dying. Today's first order of business, cough up blood. Celestis is a company who prepare cremated space travellers for blast-off, packing each one into a lipstick-sized aluminium tube. Riding in a memorial satellite, your loved one will orbit Earth for up to 15 years. Eventually, the satellite will re-enter the Earth's atmosphere and vaporise, blazing like a shooting star in a final tribute. The Earth return surface. Ashes are taken on board a rocket, launched into space, and then returned. The lunar surface. Your ashes are deposited on the moon. The final frontier surface. The ashes are propelled into deep space, never to return, but to be one with the cosmos for eternity. Scotty. Beat me up. James Doohan, who played Scotty on Star Trek, orbits the Earth, as does Gene Rodenbury, the creator of Star Trek. So that's the end of part one. Things to think about before you die. In parts two and three, we'll be looking at coffins, hearses, funeral directors, what to do with your cremains, and how to bequeath your digital assets. After all, people study for weeks for a birth. Why not study for a death? Oh well, who wants to live forever? <laughs> <laughs> Life at Death's Door by Anne Teato and Steve Spence Narrated by Brian Blessed Directed by Jack Bowman Starring Stephen Hill Jessica Dennis Greg Page Adam Hall Tom Slatter Kevin Haney Polly McClay Leslie Cook Jacoa Teato Jenny Runnaker Lexi Howe and Teato and Alicia Ambrose Bailey. Edited by Malcolm Thorpe. Engineered by Carlos Siccarelli at Unity Studios, London. Original music by Polly Haynes. With many thanks to Highgate Cemetery.